Tonight, I'm taking a deep dive into the recent brutal murders of Bart and Krista Halderson. We'll take a look at their son who initially reported his parents missing and his whereabouts days before he called the police in regards to his parents' whereabouts. The details of this case are extremely graphic. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome friends, my name is Emma, and you're listening to the first episode of Oh, There's a Crime, a true crime podcast where I will bring you a different case each week and we'll get down into the gritty details of it all. Uh, I'm sure some of you are probably wondering what uh, OP means. I am located in Wisconsin, born and raised, uh, South, South Wisconsin to be exact, and OP is a term that we use up here. And the best way I could probably describe it to listeners not from where I live is it's kind of replaces the word O, I guess you could say. So it's kind of like, oh, can I just squeeze right past you there? Or, you know, you're at the store and you don't you accidentally bump into someone and you're kind of like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, and I think it's a very appropriate term in the true crime world because a lot of times we you find yourself saying, oh, he did what? Or, oh, he killed who? So that's just kind of where that comes from. It's just the name I'd come up with. I'd been rattling with this idea of starting my own podcast for some time now. And one of my main goals for this podcast, it, not only to give you um, the best facts to my knowledge, but I hope to one day start bringing some friends or maybe even family members to come and chat with me about whatever case I'm bringing to that episode. So let's, uh, let's just get into it. So Like in the intro you heard, we're going to be talking about the brutal murders of Bart and Krista Halderson. This actually happened in Windsor, Wisconsin, which is not far from where I live. So I'm, I guess I'm more in like the Madison general area. I don't live in Madison. I live in a smaller town surrounding. There's a lot of small surrounding towns and Windsor is one of those surrounding towns. So it is kind of a little bit north of Madison, about you're about 10 minutes away from uh, the farthest east side of Madison, Wisconsin. So this happened pretty damn near close to home for me. And it happened very recently that this happened last summer of 2021. So Chandler, Chandler Halderson is Bart and Krista's son. He's 23 years old, lives at home, all of that, going to school, working. But we're going to find out some disturbing things that uh, Chandler does. And right off the bat, I just want to share, if I talk about anyone that isn't Bart, Crystal, or Chandler, I'm not going to name that person just because this case is very tragic and was very difficult. I mean, just for the general public in this area, it was very difficult to hear about and follow along with. But I can't even imagine how difficult it is for the families of Bart and Krista um, because they did have a second son, which... He'll come up a little bit, not much. There's just no reason to name him. All these names are out on the internet if you want to go find them for yourself. By all means, all power to you. It's all public record. And when we talk about Chandler's um, girlfriend at the time, she's now his ex-girlfriend, no longer together. But they were dating at the time, and her nickname is Cat. So we'll just we're just gonna call her Cat. But pretty much any other names, I'm just gonna leave out because I just don't I don't deem it very appropriate at this point in time. If they had something more to do with the case, then sure maybe. But everyone else is just. I mean, there are a lot of victims in this. So back in May of 2021. Uh, Chandler and his uh, girlfriend at the time, Kat, were texting back and forth about how Chandler had the opportunity to interview for a job in Florida at SpaceX, uh, SpaceX that is run by Elon Musk. 
And he eventually texted her saying that I got the job, that he got the job. So it's not known. I wasn't able to find if his parents knew about the SpaceX job. Everyone else around him uh, was believed to think that he worked at a paid internship at American Family Insurance and that he was also very close to graduating from Madison College, which is a technical college in Madison, getting a computer technology degree. And when his girlfriend would ask, like, how close are you? He would say, I'm about one, co- one course away from graduating. And when his parents would ask about this, he would just say, I'm almost there. You know, just these excuses. And Chandler even showed his dad a series of emails that looked as if they were coming back and forth uh, through Chandler and the school from Madison College. So he shows Bart, one can assume he probably showed Krista these emails, you know, but they're still kind of wondering, like, you're not paying rent, you know, you're 23 years old, you gotta, like, you gotta put something into society here, man, and I full-heartedly agree on that. So it's now July of 2021, and Bart... When he was looking at these emails that Chandler was showing him that were supposedly from Madison College, he noticed a phone number on it, and he eventually called that phone number. And when someone picked up on the other line, Bart just had the suspicion that it was his son because the voice was just way too similar. Just absolutely way too similar. And it'll actually come out later that a burner phone that was connected to that phone number was found in Chandler's bedroom. So then his dad was like, okay, this isn't, this isn't cool. So he calls Madison College himself. He calls Madison College himself. Um, I believe when it comes to colleges, there's only so much info that they can give out, like, I think pertaining to like, yep, they're a student here, but I think that's pretty much it. And when he called, and this call was video, or sorry, this call was recorded due to training purposes on Madison College's part. So there is fat, like it is known this call happened. And this is when Bart found out that his son was not an existing student there. It's believed that he only attended Madison College for one semester. So if he only went one semester, that means he has been lying to his parents. I mean, essentially for years, if not just months and months and months. So Bart finds this all out and he's obviously like, what the fuck, dude? (laughs) Like, you lied to me. So Bart schedules a meeting with Madison College for July 1st at 1 or 3. I'm so sorry. July 1st at 3 p.m. So that Bart and Chandler can go to this meeting together and get this whole damn thing figured out. Uh, Little did Bart know he... He found out Chandler's big, big lie. And I can only imagine when his dad was like, hey, we're going to do this meeting, that internally he was like, oh, shit. And honestly, at that point, if I was Chandler, I would have just come clean. I mean, you're an adult, dude. The worst thing that they're going to do is kick you out. And you can't tell me that you don't have like a buddy's couch to crash on or that your girlfriend at the time's mom would have probably let you slept on the couch like at that point just come clean so it it's ridiculous and what what he does in order to not be sought out in these lies is brutal so july 1st are the last known whereabouts of Bart and Krista. The last text that Bart sent Chandler was ready when you are. And that is obviously in pertain to the meeting that him and Chandler were supposed to go to at 3 p.m. that day. Krista was last seen at work and she left work around five o'clock And the neighbor's uh, video surveillance camera picked up that her Volvo station wagon pulled into their driveway at 5.12 p.m. So last known whereabouts, 
Krista's last known whereabout is her pulling into her driveway. Krista did not show up for work Friday morning on the 2nd. And her co-worker, and that was not like Krista. She was very reliable. She would have at least, you know, sent a text message, all of that. And they could not get a hold of her. So let's get into this timeline between July 1st, 2021 and July 8th, 2021. And this timeline is going to pertain to what Chandler was up to. So (laughs) as we all can tell by now, he is quite a habitual liar. He obviously was not going to school. Um, And at this point, let's assume that he did not have this paid internship, which let me uh, surprise spoiler alert. When police called American Family Insurance, they didn't know anything about a paid internship, let alone did they have any records of Chandler ever working there, ever working there. So July 1st, Chandler texted his girlfriend Uh, stating that he overheard his parents talking about going up to their cabin in Langdon County, which is just north of Wausau, which is about three, three and a half hours from Madison, talking about that they were going to go up there for the 4th of July weekend. 3 p.m. was supposed to be that scheduled meeting. 5.12 p.m., just like we talked about, was the time Krista was ever last seen. 6.30 p.m., Chandler texts his girlfriend at the time, and he said, baby, I need you. And then later that night at 8.16 p.m., Krista's Volvo is picked up on the neighbor's surveillance, backing out of the driveway. Not too long after that, at 8.22 p.m., a Volvo, very similar looking to Krista's Volvo station wagon, was parked at a quick trip in Windsor, Wisconsin. On camera at Quick Trip, it is shown that a young male exits that car, walks into Quick Trip, and he purchases two bags of ice with a Venmo debit card. Okay, so then he goes back to the Volvo and leaves the premise. 8.29 p.m., Krista's car is noted pulling back into the driveway again on that video surveillance. Fast forward to the morning of July 2nd, Krista's no-show for work, and her co-workers, like I said, thought that was suspicious. And Kat and Chandler also had plans to meet up at Chandler's house on July 2nd to hang out, especially because if his parents were going to be gone for the weekend, she's like, woohoo, like, party at your house all weekend. So he ended up texting Kat, Um, saying that he had a bunch of chores to do and not to rush over. And then Kat also later shared that she just assumed she would be staying the night. Like, she just assumed she would be staying the whole weekend. Like, his parents are gone. He may as well stay. But he told her that she couldn't spend the night because he he just has to finish these chores. So after sending that morning text about telling her not to rush over, at around noon, he asks her to bring a bottle of hydrogen peroxide, a Swiffer mop, and the groceries that they had previously talked about her picking up. When she asked what he needed the peroxide for, he said that he had cut his foot on a glass pane on their fireplace when he was playing ball with the dog inside the house. He said that there was uh, blood everywhere. So later in the day, a concerned co-worker of Krista's decides to go to the house to check on her because he, he can't get a hold of her. No one at work can get a hold of her. No one knows where she is. So he looks into the garage and he finds it very interesting that both of their cars were parked there. Uh, he noticed Krista's station wagon, and then Bart drove an Outback or a Subaru Outback, and that was still in the garage as well. And then when he walked up to the front door, he like kind of peeked in, and he noticed that a table was flipped over on its side. And then he started obviously banging on the door to see if Krista was home. And before anyone answered, he saw Chandler like peep through the curtains to see who is knocking on the door. 
So Chandler eventually answered because the co-worker saw him, you know, peeping that and he knew someone was home. And it was very obvious that Chandler was fresh out of the shower and his, he had some type of like bandage on his foot. He asked him if he knew where his parents were and Chandler said that his parents left with a couple that he didn't know at about 5 a.m. this morning to go up to their family cabin for 4th of July weekend. But what's funny about this is Chandler told the police he didn't wake up until about 6, 6.15 that morning. So how would he know that they left then and with a couple that he didn't recognize i mean to me that is just extremely fishy if you're sleeping i mean they could have left 10 minutes before you woke up but he essentially was saying they weren't home when i woke up so eventually chandler's girlfriend at the time cat comes over brings the things that she said he would and then eventually has to leave because you know he said he's he's got chores to do she didn't notice, like, any blood, but she did see that there still was, like, some broken glass pieces and whatnot. And she, like, and he did have the cut on his foot. She saw that. So on July 3rd, Chandler tells Kat that he just plans on doing chores again all day. And Kat was like, okay, I'm gonna go visit my brother. Like, sounds good. And then later that morning, Kat noticed on Snapchat on the like map part I don't I don't have Snapchat so I don't know what the like location map thing is I just know that you can if someone shares their location on Snapchat you can see it so she noticed that his little icon was near the town of Roxbury in Wisconsin which is outside of Sauk City which is um Oh, God, I haven't been to Sauk City in so long. It's a, it's a pretty decent drive to Madison, but definitely no longer than an hour. Um, from Windsor, same thing. Definitely not any longer than an hour. So he was up in the town of Roxbury. I mean, those phone locations, they don't lie, right? He obviously forgot to turn off his location. And an eyewitness actually spotted a young white male with carrying a large backpack walking up old highway 60 in the town of roxbury along the wisconsin river and she noticed that he was walking away from a parked car that was parked uh near the woods there it was also shown that chandler went to fleet farm and purchased a large black and gray heavy duty tarp with a venmo debit card July 4th, next day, Chandler is just having a good time. He went to um, Kat's mom and her partner's place for a 4th of July barbecue. Just having a good old time, um, you know, whatever. At this point, Kat was getting like a little weirded out because Chandler hadn't heard from Krista that entire weekend. And according to Kat, it was very common for Krista to, like, be in touch with Chandler very often. I mean, at least sending them pictures, especially when they were up north doing whatever they're doing. So he then claimed that he received this text message from Krista's phone. And Krista said something along the lines of, like, having a great time. We'll be home Tuesday the 6th. Okay, so that then puts everyone's minds at ease, right? And he eventually tells uh, Krista's worried co-worker that he did receive this text from his mom. So this text, though, when police went in to do an analysis on Krista and Chandler's phones, when Krista sent this text message, her phone pinged into Forest, Wisconsin, and then Chandler's phone at that same time also pinged into Forest, Wisconsin. So there was no way she was up at their cabin celebrating the 4th of July. We'll get into that later on. So now let's move on to July 5th. Kat's mom told police that at 5.30 p.m. that evening, Chandler pulled up in the family Subaru Outback 
and he was acting very off. When she asked him if he was okay, he said he wasn't okay and that he couldn't read uh, letters, numbers, and he just kept getting lost. And then he just randomly asked if he could use their pool, to which she was like, okay, you know, sure, you can use my pool, but are you okay? And he just kept, like, saying, no, I'm not okay, but yeah, I'm like, you know, like, being really fucking weird about it. So he parks the Subaru next to this large shed that's on this uh, property in Cottage Grove, Wisconsin, which is just east of Madison. And he parks it next to this shed and at one point opens the back of the trunk. Like, I think, don't Subarus, Outbacks have, like, not, like, enclosed trunks, but whatever. He, the, the trunk is open because at one point, Kat's mom and her partner were like, it's been a, a bit since we have seen this kid. And they walked over to where the car was parked and they noticed that the trunk was open, but Chandler was nowhere to be seen. And now keep in mind, this shed is located next to like a woodsy type area on the property. So after about an hour to an hour and a half, Kat's mom tells police that Chandler came back and then proceeded to use the pool. Um, When he had first come back, he hadn't been in the pool. So then he proceeds to use the pool and look to her, it seemed as if he was like trying to rinse off, like trying to get clean while using the pool. And I think all people with common sense know you don't jump in a pool to rinse off and get clean. You jump in a pool because it's hot as fuck in the middle of summer and you need to cool off and go for a swim. So it didn't take long. So then, okay, so after he gets out of the pool and all of that. He then leaves. He leaves. He goes home or wherever. And Kat's mom eventually notices that vultures are starting to circle above this wooded area near her property. So on July 6th, Kat asks Chandler if his parents are home because he had stated his mom sent him a text saying they would be home Tuesday. It was also noted in that text that they were going to go to a 4th of July parade. And when police looked into this, um, there was a parade, but it wasn't on the day that, uh, quote unquote, Krista claimed to have said they were going. So at this point, Kat's like, okay, this is weird. Like, we haven't heard from your parents. You haven't heard from your parents. Where are they? They're not home. Something is off. Then the morning of July 7th, Kat is finally, she's finally like, Chandler, you need to go to the police. This isn't like your parents. This isn't, this is weird. So at 11.22 a.m. on July 7th, he texts Kat that he went to the police and reported his parents missing. So obviously there's a huge police presence in Windsor then at this time, which Windsor is a very small town. So to have like this large police presence is not normal. So obviously neighbors are going to be watching. And Chandler actually does a interview with a um, news station about his parents' disappearance. And his one neighbor, who it sounds like um, Chandler and his parents were like really good friends with uh, her and her husband. And it sounded like they had dinner together and like they did things together. So this neighbor, she felt bad for him, obviously, because she's perceived to think that this poor 23 year old boy who's just living at home with mom and dad and his parents just disappeared. So she feels bad for him. So she's like, Chandler, why don't you come over and have dinner with us? And she later told police that he was, like, very off-putting during this dinner. Like, he was just kind of acting weird, and the things he was saying just weren't right. So he claimed that Bart and Krista brought, like, a shit ton of cash with them 
up to the cabin. And the neighbor thought this was weird because she always thought, like, not in a mean way, but she always thought of Bart as, like, a cheapskate. And it definitely was not known that Bart and Krista would keep, like, large sums of cash just lying around the house. Also, Bart was an accountant. So, I mean, when you're an accountant, you're really good with numbers. And I'm guessing you're just not going to let all your cash lay around the house unless he had some, like, detailed, like, record system of his cash money. I highly doubt that. So that was a red flag for her. And the other red flag was Chandler claimed that the night before they had packed up a shit ton of alcohol to bring to the cabin with them um, so that they could drink with this um, unknown couple that they supposedly went up north with. And the neighbor thought this was really weird because Bart and Krista weren't known to be like huge drinkers. Um, from what I could take from what I'd read and what I'd heard, it sounded more like Bart and Krista were just kind of like occasional, like not getting wasted, just enjoying, you know, an alcoholic beverage once in a while. Which, I mean, personally, I'm so I'm 26 and. I really don't drink that much anymore. I just, I don't know. Like, if 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 it's there, like, sure. But I we personally don't keep alcohol in our house. And my husband just, he just never really drinks. So, I mean, it's nice when we, if we do ever go out, then he's already the DD pretty much. But, so it sounds like they were similar. Like, I get, I get what the neighbor was saying when they really weren't drinkers. Because I will, I'll maybe have like a drink or two once a month, not even. So I totally get that. So I get how the neighbor would perceive that to be weird. That all of a sudden they're like, yeah, let's just get wasted this weekend. Because that's not, and it's not like they were throwing, like if they were throwing like a huge party up there, I could see that. But then I feel like those, like everyone else would have been going up there with them as well if that was the point of bringing a bunch of alcohol and going up 4th of July weekend to have a party. But it it doesn't sound like that was the case. Okay, so obviously when Chandler reported his parents missing, he brought up the whole thing about his parents going to their family cabin up north. So he also told police, like, this is just a weird tidbit, that he helped pack his mom's medication the night before they were supposedly leaving. And he told he straight up told the police, like, he packed enough medication to last Krista until Saturday, July 7th, or I'm sorry, Saturday, July 10th, which is just like, for one, why are you packing her medications to... I mean, when I bring my medications and I'm traveling, I just grab the entire prescription bottle, throw it in my bag and go. Like he was putting it in like separate little baggies, which is just weird. And it's weird that he told the police that, especially the part about packing like enough medication to last her several days when he claimed he got this text message saying they would be back the 6th. So July 8th, so at this point, the police are, you know, checking on the cabin, you know, like, where are these parents going? They're talking to friends, um, obviously Kat and Kat's mom and whatnot. So on July 8th, the morning of, and when they did the um, forensic analysis, I hope that's the right term to use, looking at Chandler's Google search history, specifically around like a little after 9am on July 8th, he was searching some pretty um, ominous uh, topics. So the first search was Bart and Krista. The second search was bodies being found southern Wisconsin. Third search, body found Wisconsin. Another search done was Wisconsin dismembered body found. Yeah, Wisconsin dismembered, dismembered body found. So I'm sure we can all guess that when police talked to Kat's mom, that she told them about this weird interaction she had with Chandler on the 6th at her, or I'm sorry, on, on the 5th at her house. 
which then eventually led to police to search that Cottage Grove property, specifically in that wooded area near where that large shed is. At 2.49 p.m. that afternoon, well, all of, like, while the police are searching for Bart and Krista while they're looking on this Cottage Grove property, Chandler takes it upon himself to go knock on the neighbor's door that had a ring doorbell. And he asked this neighbor exactly how far and exactly where this uh, ring doorbell can see. And the neighbor, he thought this was like super weird. And he and Chandler asked, like, was anything found? And the neighbor said, I've already sent it all to police. And he actually sent them three separate emails with video footage from his uh ring doorbell system so while this is going on police are searching that property in cottage grove and at 3 p.m they find a um severely uh, mutilated dismembered uh, male torso belonging to a white male and they so they so officers started walking through this wooded area and one noticed this just weird pile of sticks and leaves and like little branches just there like and not as like it fell off trees and all landed there as if someone put it all there so when they got closer and they moved all of this that is when they found the dismembered um remains of bart and yeah, it was later confirmed um, to be Bart. So this torso belonged to Bart and it was found with the underwear and the pants still on, even though the legs were gone. And it had a black belt wrapped around the, um, the upper chest area. When they were also searching the property, they found an oil drum a large oil drum that was split open. It wasn't in use. And it had a, a couple tools in there that were noticeably covered in some, like, fatty, like, flesh. You know, it, they were obviously covered in human flesh and blood. And at this point, <laughs> Chandler was doing an interview downtown with um, detectives absolutely bullshitting them about what he had been up to just lie after lie after lie and finally they were like okay so we know you're lying please tell the truth because they didn't let Chandler know that they had already found um Brian's torso so then eventually he is arrested right then and there and when he was arrested he asked officers what do you know? Which, uh, to me, that that's like an omission of guilt. So, they find Bart's torso on July 8th. Still have not found any, any signs of Krista. Haven't found Krista. They were eventually led um, to the town of Roxbury on Old Highway 60 along the Wisconsin River in the same area where that eyewitness on July 3rd spotted a young white male with a large backpack walking along the highway. And also the same day where Kat noticed on the Snapchat map feature that Chandler's icon was near the town of Roxbury outside of Sauk City, Wisconsin. So the police are then searching this area because they believe that they might find something and eventually they do. So in one spot, they found an intact human leg. About 10 feet ahead, they found three more dismembered uh, human remains that all seem to be a part of another leg uh, one of those pieces included a left foot and it took a while to confirm but it was eventually confirmed that those remains belong to Krista Halderson so so at this point they have now found these tools at the Cottage Grove property they found 
Bart's torso, and they found um, remains of Krista, including one intact leg. At this point, then, Chandler was charged with two counts of first-degree murder, two counts of uh, falsifying information on a missing person, two counts of mutilating a corpse, and two counts of hiding a corpse. When they did the autopsy on Bart, the Diane deputy medical examiner found three gunshot wounds, and it was also found that one of these shots was done when the barrel of the gun was directly up against Bart's back. The deputy medical examiner determined that all of these shots were fatal, including one that shot, there was one that went all the way through and out and even hit the spinal cord. It is known that Bart was killed first because Krista hadn't, um, had been at work that day, so she hadn't come home until 5.12 that evening on July 1st, so it, it is believed that Bart was killed first, and I can only imagine the horror that not only Bart felt, obviously, but that Krista felt when she walked into this just gruesome scene of her dead husband, and who knew what Chandler was already doing uh, with Bart's body at that point, as we will get into. They continued to search, um, especially for more remains of Krista, because when they searched the home in the fireplace, they found a bunch of bone fragments, including skull fragments. So we can assume that he attempted to um, burn their heads in the fireplace. But if you know how cremation works of a human body, that fire needs to be extremely hot and needs to burn for a very, very long time. Other evidence that they found at the home was an axe that had human blood on it, nylon, black nylon rope, bloodstained shoes that were proven through DNA analysis to be uh, Chandler's shoes. They also found hidden firearm magazines in the installation in the basement. At the Cottage Grove property, in that oil drum, they had found um, a handsaw a pair of scissors, a broken saw blade, and a pair of pruning shears. They also found um, a large black and gray tarp not far away from Bart's remains that were found, along with a target bag full of bloody rags that were used in cleanup. Luminol testing was done at the Halderson home, and it had huge reactions in the basement, okay? Had huge reactions in the basement, and it also reacted on the living room floor, on the floorboards in the bathroom, and the vacuum cleaner. DNA analysis was, of course, done, and Bart's DNA was found in the garbage bin and on the broken saw blade. Both of Bart and Chris's DNA was found on the scissors, the handsaw blade, the axe, and the pruning shears. And they also found that a crime scene cleanup was done in this large stand-up freezer that they had at the Halderson home. And one red flag that um, officers saw right away was that it was like squeaky clean. And a luminol test was done, and it was shown that there was um, a reaction of either blood, well, of course, obviously blood, but probably bleach, too. When examining the remains of Bart and Krista, the medical examiner found that multiple tools have been had been used um, to dismember their bodies. And it was very apparent that on, like, especially, so like on Brian's torso, different tools were used on different sections. So it, this sounds so brutal, but it sounds like he was just trying to figure out which was the best tool to use 
because I don't have personal experience in this, but I can only imagine how difficult it would be to dismember a human body, um, especially when it comes to chopping those bones. But as it has shown time and time again, if you are determined enough, you can do anything. <laughs> so, so it, and it also showed that there was no, like, medical experience when it came to the dismemberment. Like, it was a hack job. It was, it was. It, there was no clean cuts. It was, it was brutal. And it was actually so brutal that during the trial, um, at, when they showed the crime scene photos of Bart's torso, they originally shared it on the projector so that the entire courtroom could see. And I believe it was Law and Crime was live casting the trial along with tons of other news stations. I don't know if other news stations did this, but Law and Crime showed on the live broadcast the crime scene photo of Bart. I guess they later apologized for it. I mean, regardless, extremely inappropriate was that's an extremely graphic photo like that is if someone wanted to see it that badly they should have been at the courthouse at that time because that I mean that's brutal they said that they then blurred out the photo for any re-uploads for wherever else they were gonna put it and the next day when they uh, had to show the crime scene photos of Krista's remains, they put them in booklets for the jury and the other parties that needed to see those photos. Because, it, I mean, it, any dismembered body is going to be an extremely graphic one to see. I don't, I have no interest in knowing what a leg looks like cut into three sections like I just I have no interest in that um I do have to admit when I was doing this deep dive online I unfortunately did see that gruesome crime scene photo of Bart's torso and I just words cannot describe it it was a hack job it was extremely disturbing and the fact that the pants and the underwear were on there it was just it was very ominous it was very eerie I just, I do not recommend, do not recommend. So now let's get into the trial. So it was of course shown that Chandler never worked for American Family Insurance. He attended one semester of school. He never got a job at SpaceX, was never even offered a job ex at SpaceX. He also claimed to have had a brain injury. So a bit ago, he had fallen and hit his head, went to the ER, and was diagnosed with just a minor concussion. And the d ER doctors testified at Chandler's trial that, yeah, it was just a minor concussion and the neck brace was not needed. So he was walking around at first with a neck brace, telling people that he had a brain bleed, he had a, a spinal injury, all kinds of stuff. But it was just a minor concussion. Yeah. Talk about exaggeration. <laughs> and another lie that they discovered and proved to be not real, and they proved this, the police proved this, um, was that Chandler was not a DNR dive team rescue dude. Was not. Claimed to have been, but was not. So the prosecutor obviously played all of these lies, except especially the big one about gra about to graduate uh, Madison College and this job that he claimed to have worked at American Family. He got caught by his parents and the prosecutors, this was their motive. And Chandler never gave a motive. He still hasn't to this day. So, I mean, I, this kid's got to be fucked up. There's no previous history of mental illness. He had a very normal upbringing 
and he was just a habitual liar and he was so afraid of getting caught lying he went as far as to kill his parents and dismember their bodies into a bunch of pieces burn part of those remains in the fireplace including their heads their heads because they found those skull fragments in the fireplace, and proceeded to lie about their whereabouts until he was finally pressured by Kat to call the police. Because, I mean, eventually someone else is going to call the police. Because where are their co-workers? Where, you know, they have other family members. They have another son. And their Chandler's brother testified in court that him and Chandler would gain life insurance of a million dollars if his parents were to die. So right there to me, I mean, people do some crazy shit for some money. So you've got the lies that were discovered by his parents and you've got this life insurance policy right there. That is motive enough in my eyes. That to me, that is why he did this. And since he's not going to say otherwise, I'm going to say that is why he did this, because why else would he? Why else? Like, you don't just one day snap and kill your parents. Okay, you don't just snap one day and kill your parents. That's not, that's not normal. There's something going on there. There's something going on there. And it's even worse is Chandler showed no remorse, no remorse at his trial, no remorse. Even in one of his interviews with police officers, he told them, I don't even feel that bad. I don't even feel bad for what I did. So this man has no remorse. And his defense was extremely weak. They called no witnesses. They entered no evidence. And he had no defense. As were the prosecution called over 60 witnesses, submitted hundreds, hundreds of like photos of evidence and also physical evidence like of the tools and all of that. So the trial began on January 4th. There was a little hiccup with COVID in there. Uh, Chandler did contract COVID-19 while in the Dane County Jail. And it was at the time when the cases there were like really rampant. So that put a little halt in it. But essentially, the trial and the conviction all ended on January 20th, a couple days ago, uh, 2022. The jury deliberated for only two hours. And to me, for this case, the amount of evidence that was shown, the testimonies done, two hours, I think if it would have been anything less, I that would mean that they didn't at least sit there and talk about it for a while. So I, I was on a jury um, a couple years ago, actually, and the evidence against this person was very strong. And when it came time to deliberate, all of us agreed, like, we're, we're pretty sure he's guilty, like, very confident he's guilty. And I believe, like, one, at least one person and maybe another said, like, I think he's guilty, but I think we should run through the evidence again, which we did, and we later found this person um, guilty. So I think two hours is an appropriate time. Anything longer, I would have been concerned, absolutely. But I think two hours was enough time for them to maybe relook over um, their notes, take an initial vote of what everyone thought and look relook over any evidence that they might wanted to have seen again maybe it wasn't shown long enough in court something like that maybe they wanted to relook at the uh, text messages between uh, parties who knows but regardless they came back january 20th 2022 with guilty on all counts so Chandler Halderson was charged, is charged, with two counts of first-degree murder, which in the state of Wisconsin is a mandatory life sentence. So this dude is going away forever. He got two counts of providing false information on a missing person, two counts of uh, mutilating a corpse, and lastly, he got two counts of hiding a corpse. This motherfucker is going away forever, totally deserves it. Um, obviously this just, uh, closed out and the trial ended just a couple days ago. So 
sentencing is tentatively set in March of 2022. Once that happens, I will for sure give an update, most definitely. Um, I know everyone uh, in the area where I live was paying much attention to this because it was just a very strange, very brutal, very just disturbing case altogether. And the fact that Chandler has no remorse, just shows no emotion for what he did to his parents is just, I could never get in that headspace. I just, I don't understand. I, I don't understand it. And maybe that's what like brings me to true crime so much is because most of the time we don't understand. We don't always get a motive, you know, we don't always get that motive. So uh, just like this one, we might, we might never know why. And especially, maybe at his deathbed confession, maybe he'll have a deathbed confession one day and finally come out and say why he did this. But as of right now, I think the motive of having his lies figured out and the life insurance policy, that that's motive enough in my eyes. So if you made it this far, that's the, that is the tragic, uh, story of Bart and Krista Halderson and may they uh rest in peace and I hope one day that they are able to recover more remains of them but as of right now um all they've found are what was it in the woods at the town of Roxbury the Cottage Grove property and the bone fragments in the fireplace at the Halderson home so extremely sad case once again, my heart absolutely pours out to them. I thank you so much for listening. Bear with me, guys. Like, I promise, come, keep coming back if you can. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try my best to bring you the most interesting topics. I'm gonna hopefully bring in some friends to chat with me. I, I definitely appreciate it if you, I, I would definitely appreciate it if you would stick around. And if you've made it this far, again, thank you so much. Please come back next week. Tell your friends, tell your family, have your dog give it a listen. Um, otherwise, for now, take it easy and stay safe, my friends. Cover art by FancyCrave1 at Pixabay.com. This episode's intro and outro music is Nowhere to Hide by Darren Curtis. Visit him at DarrenCurtisMusic.com. Feel free to find me on Instagram at Oh, There's a Crime. And if you'd like, you can email me at Oh, There's a Crime Podcast at gmail.com. Take care. <laughs>